Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast. Glad you're here. We're still in our series on the King of Hearts. And what a treat today, Pastor Cheryl is going to get you fired up. I mean, fired up. She's going to talk about David and Goliath, David the Giant Slayer. I mean, you can't miss this, but she's going to really encourage you and going to bless you. And you're going to learn that we've got a cause. we got a promise to appropriate. And we need to lay hold of the promises of God with just a real reckless spirit of faith. So come on, let's get into the so, world. As I said earlier, Pastor Carl's away and he's left me to preach and <laughs> I was moaning and groaning all week. Oh, I hate sermon preparation. I just asked to stop. So again, as usual, I've prepared too many notes. It looks like a lot, but it's actually size 16 font because I can't see a thing anymore. Anyways, we're just on a series called uh, David, um, King of Hearts, and we're kind of going over why David was called uh, a man after God's own heart. And so what we've learned so far is that after Jesus, no one else in Scripture is mentioned more than David. There's 66 chapters of the Bible, Kings, Samuel, Chronicles, outlining his life. He's named 59 times in the New Testament. And um, the beautiful thing about David, and one of the things that the New Testament um, preachers, Peter, referred to, was that in the last days, God will restore David's fallen tent. And the beautiful thing about David is he didn't have divisions and sections where people could go and worship. He understood that God wanted people to have an unfiltered access to his presence and his glory. Amen? And that's what's really beautiful about David. And I love that David learned how to worship God in the field, and he learned how to worship God in the temple. A few other really interesting facts about David, and I talk fast, so if Vivian is here translating for anyone, I'm so sorry. So David lived around 1000 BC. His grandparents were Ruth and Boaz. He wrote approximately half the book of Psalms. He had eight wives. That's stinking crazy. He was first crowned king in Hebron in Judah and then in Jerusalem. He was 30 years old before he became the king. He reigned 40 years, seven years in Hebron and 33 over all of Judah and Israel. And you know, this is one thing I love about the Bible is I love that the Bible is so honest about people's lives. Like David, he's a man after God's own heart, but he had some big mistakes in life. Amen. And we'll probably go into that a little bit further on. But right now we're just celebrating a great feat for David. But one of the most iconic pictures and iconic stories about King David is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and it's all about David and Goliath. And this would have been a much better sermon for a man to preach because I think you need a big man's voice to say some of the things I'm going to say today. But I, I can yell. This story has been told and taught so many times through literature and art, and the David and Goliath confrontation has all become cliched for underdogs and antagonists. It's iconic. The odds seem overwhelmingly uh, indefensible, and the opposition is full-on terrifying. But the story of David is so much more than a cliche, and it's really an account of David's trust and faith in God, which would become one of his most defining characteristics. So let's kind of set the stage for this epic story of David and Goliath. just want to go over the scene quickly. I want to talk about the challenge, the shepherd boy, the challenger, and the battle, the scene. So verses 1 to 3, I'm not going to read everything just because we're going to be short for time, and I want to give lots of time for some ministry. Now the Philippines, Philippines, (laughs) now the Philistines had gathered their armies for war and assembled in the valley of Elah. Saw and the Israelites Um, assembled in the valley. They drew up battle lines, and each of them was on one side of the valley, the Philistines on one mountain hill and the Israelites on the other. 
And the Valley of Elah was really important. It was on the western edge of the Judean low hills, and it was a strategically important corridor, one for trade and transport, and also it was a corridor that the Israelites felt that they had to protect so that there wasn't advances against the, um, the people of Israel. And so who were the Philistines? They were a group of people who were in Canaan before Moses, and they were part of the people that had to be dispersed when they moved into the Promised Land. They were by nature aggressive and expansionist, and they were a constant thorn in Israel's side. And their conflict was always over land, religion, and culture. And the battle uh, continued to the day, through to the days of Eli and kind of finds its culmination in the life and the battle between David and Goliath. And so then you have the Israelites. So the Israelites on the other side, they should be actually quite confident by now. They'd been in the promised land. They'd gotten out of Egypt with all the wealth of Egypt. They had the walls of Jericho come down and saw God do a mighty feat there. They were conquering over Ai and over other Philistine groups. Not to mention they were God's covenant people. And that's a really important thing to remember here. They were God's covenant people, a covenant that dated back to Abraham. And every Jewish boy, every Jewish person would have been told and would have known about the promise of God and the covenant of God. I'm not going to read the scripture, but it's in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 to 3. You hear God talking to Abraham, and it's a, prob it's a promise of descendants and blessings. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I'll make you a great nation, and I'll make your name great. They also had a promise of land. In Genesis chapter 15, said, God said, I'll give you the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. That's a lot of sites. So they had a promise of blessing and descendants, and they had a promise of land. And that promise was marked by something very, very important that David references in his dialogue with Goliath. They had a promise that was marked by circumcision. And God said, this is your act of um, fulfilling the, your end of the promise by circumcising all of your boys. We won't go any further than that. So these Israelites were a covenant people. They had a covenant of blessing. They had a covenant of descendants. They had a covenant of land. And their very bodies were marked by the sign of this covenant. And so they bore in their bodies that covenant. There was no escaping that God had made a covenant with them. And so, but it's, it's so odd that they would be so discouraged by the Philistine army because they'd beaten them before. They'd gone through Ai. They'd taken down Jericho. They'd fought Philistines before. So what was going on in this particular situation that they were just stagnant? Neither army was moving. We go to the challenger, Goliath. Verses 4 to 7. It's crazy that they took three verses to describe this giant. Goliath was from Gath, which was one of the cities and the chief cities of the Philistine ter uh, territory. And he was referred to as a champion. He was superior. He was a title holder. He was a winner. And then the Hebrew word for this um, champion was Banayim. Yeah, Banayim or something like that. I've got a kind of in phonetic form here, so I can sort of pronounce it, but I don't speak Greek or Hebrew. So it actually means the middleman. And this word is only used twice, and is used twice in this chapter. So he is a champion. And it actually means the middleman, the space between armies where single combats would be fought and take place in order to decide the end of this challenge. It would decide the fate of both armies. So Goliath was a champion, and Goliath was a winner. He was a title guy. He was a guy who knew how to take people out. 
And so they send Goliath out to, you know, challenge Israel. And so this is why you see Israel not moving or not doing anything. So his appearance. The scripture says he was six cubits. That's close to nine feet. Some scholars argue it might not be nine feet, but we'll just settle with seven to nine feet. His armor reflected different um, pieces of armor that he collected from different fights and different wars to further intimidate and display to all of his enemies that he had been in some previous battles and had won. He had a bronze helmet. He had a coat of mail that weighed 125 pounds. So that's like I'm a little bit heavier than 125, but he's carrying my weight around his body the whole time in that chain mail. And he had greaves, that's like shin pads, that were made of bronze. He had a javelin of bronze, and it was slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. The spearhead weighed 15 pounds alone. These weapons almost seemed superhuman, as ordinary men would never have the strength to actually put them on or use them. So Goliath was armed to the teeth. He was large, he was strong, he was frightening, he was well-trained, he was impregnable, and he had superior technology. And not only does he look menacing, but he talks a mean talk as well. His insults in verse 8. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Are we not the enemies of Saul? I heard y'all were something special. And by this time, both Israel and Saul had a reputation because, you know, the peoples in the land of Canaan had heard about the Israelites coming in and doing war and taking territory. And so Goliath is challenging their past victories. He's challenging their reputation. He's mocking Israel. He's mocking Saul. He's mocking God. He said, I defy the ranks of Israel. Give us a man and let us fight. That was good, eh? Did I scare you? Not likely. So he was defying them. He was taunting them, defaming them, scorning them, blaspheming them. And you know what this happened? It says the Philistine came forward every morning and every night for 40 days. So the average Jewish person wouldn't have been much more than four, five, four, five, five. So this guy's a big guy. He's pretty menacing. So this illustration um, kind of shows that uh, violence isn't just about physical harm, but violence can be about psychological harm. He was breaking them down. Every morning, every night, he came out and taunted them. He was annihilating their sense of self. He was annihilating their, their confidence. He was actually verbally abusing them twice a day, 40 days and 40 nights. And on hearing the Philistines, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed, terrified. They were broken, shattered, and afraid. No Israelite could see themselves beating this monster, probably saying amongst themselves, I don't know, I'm not going out. That guy's probably a giant from the descendants. He's probably one of those, you know, descendants from the giants. Look at him. He's nine feet tall, and he's scary. They've gone from being the heirs to being scarce. The challenge. And this is where the whole concept of that middleman, the man in between, comes in. And so Goliath calls someone out, send me out a man. And so I think about a really great illustration for this is from the movie Troy. I don't know, y'all seen Troy? Where a Meg, uh, a Meg is challenging the Greek army. And it's, it's really just perfect illustration. And they're in the valley and the armies are lined up for battle. And then the Greek guys, and they do this whole thing, a middleman, send me a champion. And so the Greek guy sends out their champion, and he's like tall, he's like broad. And I'd hit my chest, but I hurt my rib. <laughs> but he, 
you know, and then they send a beautiful little Achilles, Brad Pitt. So he had this menacing man, he's got scars, he's got a bald head, he's big and burly, he's beating his chest! Ah! And then Brad Pitt comes out without a word and takes him down. So that's the whole idea of middleman. That's exactly what Goliath is challenging, and that's exactly what is happening between the uh, Israelites and the uh, Philistines. Choose a man, have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become the servants and subjects. But if I kill him, you'll become our subjects and our servants. And then it says, verse 12, the shepherd boy. Now David, the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse. And so Ephrathite is actually a female reference. And so it's referencing um, a female, and actually she was a great matriarch who was married to Caleb, who had the son Hur, who built and established the city of Bethlehem. So the author is linking Jesse and then David to this person Caleb and his wife, the Ephrathite. And so why is this important? Well, if you think about Caleb, Caleb was a special guy. They were, 12 spies were sent out, and only Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. And, and then when they went over to the promised land, and they were entering um, a certain territory, a mountain territory, Caleb's, this is all in Genesis, and by the way, I don't have PowerPoints, the notes are online. And so Caleb says, I'm 85 years old now, but I'm as young as I was and as vigorous as I was when I was 40 years old. Now give me this mountain! And that was Caleb at 85 years old. And then another reference in Numbers says that Caleb is, has a different spirit who serves God wholeheartedly. I think it's really important that the author links David to this character, Caleb. Because one, Caleb was vigorous. Caleb knew the word of God. He knew the promise of God to him, and Caleb had a different spirit, and he had a warrior's heart. And I just love that the author linked David to Caleb. Amen? David might look small, but perhaps this young shepherd boy has something of his grandparents in him. Perhaps he has a different spirit. Caleb the mountain taker, and David the giant slayer. Okay, back to the story. So David went back and forth. We learn about David throughout this chapter that he went back and forth between Saul and, men, and tending his sheep. In verse 17 to 18, we learn that Jesse sends David out on a cheese and cracker run. It's actually grains and cheese, but cheese and crackers for y'all. So he's, he's the Uber Eats delivery boy. Verse, 20, verse 26, it says, he's delivering the cheese and crackers and out comes Goliath ranting and raving. And David said, what will be done for the man who kills this guy? Who and what will be done for the guy who kills this, the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should disgrace the armies of the living of God? This guy is a man without a promise and without a covenant. We are a promised people and we are a covenant people. And his brothers heard him and they were furious. They said, why are you here and why aren't you tending those few sheep that you have. Did you come out just to take a good gander? So they accused him of conceit, they accused him of wickedness, and they just want, said, you're just a young guy trying to come and get a good glimpse of whatever's going on. And so someone overhears David saying this, sorry, I'm going through the whole chapter, but not that fast. Someone's hearing David go through, uh, say this, and he says, and he takes him to Saul, and he goes to Saul, we found somebody, kind of small, <laughs> might be a little soft in the head, but we found somebody who'll take on Goliath. 
And so David's before Goliath, and Saul says to him, man, you can't take this guy on. You are too small. You are but a youth, and this guy has been a warrior since he was a youth. So he has some experience. So David tries to make his case. <laughs> he says, well, I've been tending my father's sheep, soft, flurry, white animals. Not a good recommendation. But he moves on from there. He says, you know, when I'm tending my sheep and a lion or a bear comes and takes one of those lambs, I go after it, and I rip the sheep out of its mouth. And then when it turns on me, I grab it by a hair, and I kill it and slay it. Much better recommendation. And so David says, your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the job, the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. So David wasn't militarily tested in the field, but in the field he was tested by a lion and a bear, and he lived to tell about it. So Saul said to David, the Lord be with you. <laughs> God bless you, guy. Go for it. You're so cute. <laughs> so Saul tried to dress him in his armor, and David's but a youth, and I always get this picture of, you know, the dwarf from the Lord of the Rings, and he puts on someone else's chainmail and it's down around his feet? That's what I sort of think of when I think of this. So he said, I can't wear this stuff. I don't know what. It's not tested. I don't know how to work with it. So he took his shepherd's staff. He grabbed five smooth stones and put them in his bag with his sling in his hand. The battle. Goliath looked over at David and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with a healthy, handsome face. And Goliath despised him. <laughs> Sorry to reference Troy again, but it kind of reminds me of when Paris went out to fight Menelaus. Not allows is like this big burly guy, red beard, looks like there's still food in the beard. He's armed up top to bottom. His sword probably weighs more than Paris. And Paris is this beautiful boy, handsome, glowing, healthy. And this is what David says. <laughs> he says, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David and his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. But I love that David didn't back down. Mark Twain says it's not the size of the, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. And David wasn't going to back down. He had a covenant. He knew what that covenant meant. Sort of reminds me, I'm not a really big person. I'm not tall. I'm not really burly, and not really that strong anymore. But when I was in high school, I loved to play soccer, and I was a halfback. And I was quite little back then, much littler than I am now. But I loved soccer, and I would never back down. You could be twice my size, and I'm going after that ball. I had a good fight in me. I remember once when we were young, um, these boys were picking on my little brother. I was, I was enraged. I was really mad, and I fought them. Yeah. Then their mom called my mom. Said, do you know what your daughter did? Not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. I'll never forget one time uh, Dylan was playing football. He played London minor football. He played in that league. And Dylan's a very slight boy. And so they're, uh, they were playing, and there was these big guys <laughs> coming down trying to score a goal. And Dylan was the only person on the goal line trying to make a defense. Here's this little boy. <laughs> his back is bending. <laughs> I thought he was going to break. But he secured the goal line. 
It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And you know what? That's what David had. He had a fight, and he had something that he believed in. David said to him, he said, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, of the armies of heaven, whom you've defied this very day. I will give your carcasses and the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. All these gathered here will know that it's not by sword, it's not by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into our hands. And then it says, and then the Philistine grew closer to attack David, and it says that David ran at him, pulled out his stones, threw his sling, and hit him right in the head. David didn't back down. He wasn't shy. He was timid. When he saw that big guy coming, he didn't cower. He didn't go behind the ranks. He ran at him. He ran at him. It's so great. I love that. And he had to be pretty agile and good with that sling and stone because I don't know you, about you, but me running and doing more than running at the same time would be very, very difficult. So he was quite adept at using his sling and stones. He got him in the head. Boom. Oh, Goliath fell down. And then David went to him. He pulled his sword from the sheath. You can just hear this sound. And then it says that he killed him first and then cut off his head. Love it. With his own sword. What the enemy meant for evil, God can turn around for good. Amen? When the, hero, when the Philistines saw that their heroes were dead, they tucked tail and ran. And, Judah, and Israel ran after them and slew them. So you might be asking what makes David a man after God's own heart through this story. Well, I propose that David is a man after God. Wow. I just... <laughs> I am not the halfback I used to be. <laughs> That was winded me. Could have been those stairs. <laughs> David truly had a different spirit. He had an incredible spirit of faith and trust, not in himself, but in God. If I drank that, I'll choke. <laughs> so this is what makes David a man after God's own heart. He wasn't going to back down. He had that different spirit. He comes from a good line. There was something in his DNA that would not back down, that gave him a fight. And it was called the faith and trust in God, our covenant-keeping God. And David understood that. He had a spirit of faith because he understood covenant. Every Jew is well acquainted with the covenant. It was their national identity, and really they were physically different because of it. it was, and with that national identity became, came privilege of land, descendants, and blessing. And he said... Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of God? David goes, I have a covenant. He has no promise. He has no covenant. He has no standing. We have a standing. We have a covenant keeping God. David understood them. And what about you and I? I may not be a Jew by ethnicity, but I am right by adoption. I've been adopted into the family of God. Galatians says, and if you're in Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. So every promise that was in Abraham has been given to me in Christ Jesus. Colossians says, and you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. I might not have had a physical circumcision, thank God. <laughs> that would be weird. But I have a circumcision of the heart, and it was done supernaturally. It was done spiritually through, the, through Jesus Christ himself. And Romans 8 said, the Spirit himself bears witness that we are children of God. I might not be a Jew by ethnicity, but I'm a, I am a Jew in heart, and I'm a Jew by adoption. And every covenant blessing that belongs to David belongs to you and me today. Amen? Amen. Amen. We have a covenant with God, and he proved it in Jesus Christ. And he will keep all of his promises. 
He had a spirit of faith and trusting that David would not be intimidated. His brother said to him, why have you come down here, little man? Saul said, you're just a boy. David cursed and mocked him. But David was not intimidated. Amen? And we ought not to be intimidated. David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And Philippians says this, is, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. They will, be a, they will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved by God. I will not be intimidated by kin. I will not be intimidated by fearful leaders. And I will not be intimidated by the devil. Amen. Amen. Because I have a covenant. I have a covenant of forgiveness. I have a covenant of healing. I have a covenant of life. I have a covenant of victory. I have a covenant of care. I have a covenant of peace. I have a covenant of guidance and understanding. I have a covenant with God. I have access to the very God himself through the spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen? So David understood covenant, and David would not be intimidated because he knew who he was and he knew who his God was. He also, David was able to draw from past experiences. That spirit of faith was, was growing up in him, and he drew from past experiences. I've slain a bear. I've slain a lion. I can take down this Philistine. He had confidence by recalling his past victories. You all have past victories. They might be little, but celebrate those past victories. If you're an addict and you stay clean for a week, you've got a victory. You know what? If you're an anxious person and you've been at peace for a week, you've got a victory. Then every time you go through something or you face a giant, you just need to recall those victories and you just need to recall those times that Jesus met you in that valley and he brought about a great victory for you. Amen? Amen. Recall your victories. You know, I've been a Christian for many, many years now. And you know, when I was first saved, everything seemed so hard and so difficult. I'm never going to be a good Christian, but I'm 42 years old. 42 years later, God is good. He always meets me. He is a covenant-keeping God. I can trust him to keep all of his promises, and he has, he has won victory after victory for me. Amen? And you know, go with the stuff you know how to work with. David said, I'm not going to put on your armor. I'm not going to do something that I haven't tested myself. Your victories and your experiences come from the things that you've tested, that you've proven. Amen? Don't rely on someone else's word. Don't rely on someone else's armor. Work out your victories. Celebrate your victories. Use the things that work for you. Amen? And then that spirit of faith awakens bold action. I will smite thee. And take thine head. And David hastened and ran. It says that the wicked flee when no one pursues them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. A spirit of faith awakens bold action. Amen? And that spirit of faith comes from knowing who owns the battle. David said, All this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not by sword or by spirit, but the battle is the Lord, and he will give it into your hands. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Amen? And I'm a child of God like David. I have a heart after God because I know I have a covenant. I know that, you know, no enemy can intimidate me. I'm not very, I don't get intimidated very easily, <laughs> if you hadn't noticed. I have experiences. I have weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are muddy to the pulling down of strongholds. 
Paul told me to be dressed in the army of God. I've got prayer. I've got the word. I've got the spirit of God who lives on the inside of me. I can be as bold as a lion. Amen? And I know that every battle belongs to the Lord. In Hebrews, um, it says that, uh, or not in Hebrews, but it says uh, in Corinthians, it says that he leads us in triumphant procession. Um, and it says that uh, greater is he that is in you, First John, than he that is in the world. Amen? And so I have a place where I can stand strong in a valley where I'm being challenged by a giant. I should expect nothing but victory because you and I, like David, have a different spirit. And the Corinthians says that I've been given the same spirit of faith according to that which was written, and I believed, and therefore I speak. I've been given this, the spirit of faith by God himself. Galatians says you're sons of God. God sent a spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I have a different spirit. Uh, Corinthians said we have not received the spirit of the world, but we have received the Holy Spirit that is from God. And you think the Holy Spirit's going to back down to any giant? Uh-uh. Second Peter says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us by his glory. Through these, he has given us every great and precious promise so that through them you might participate in divine nature. It's in my DNA to be a giant slayer. It's in my DNA to not back down. It's in my DNA to be bold. It's in my DNA not to be intimidated. It's in my DNA to you know, garner up experiences where God has been victorious. It's in your DNA. Have you received the spirit of Christ? Are you a son of God? Then you're a giant slayer. Amen? You're a giant slayer. I'm a child of God, and that's who I really am. I have the faith and the spirit of a giant slayer because Jesus, my giant slayer, lives on the inside of me. Amen? Whatever giant you're facing today, God is your answer. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. He forgives all my sins. He heals all my diseases. He crowns my life with compassion. He restores my youth like that of an eagle. Isn't that good? That's my covenant-keeping God. That's who I know, and that's why we can be confident. That's why I can have faith and trust in every single promise that God has spoken over our lives. Amen? George, you all here? George, where are you? You, you got a team with you? Every giant he slays. Your giant might be little today, but you are a giant slayer. It might be really big, but you are a giant slayer because you have the spirit of the living God living on the inside of you, and all the armies of heaven are at your disposal. Amen? I just want to read this one song, or sing, read this one song, sing it. I won't sing it, you sing it. <laughs> but David said to them, he said, I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the Lord of the armies of heaven. And some of the names of the Lord are El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord my banner, Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, Jehovah Tsitkanu, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord, and I'm not going to say this word, who sanctifies you. <laughs> Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. Jehovah Shabbat, the Lord of hosts. Al-Rohi, the God who sees me. Go ahead, George. Turn up the chorus. And I really love, that, you know, we do actually plan our services. They don't just happen. <laughs> but I love this song. Because you and I have a name. 
And we have the name of God. We have a covenant-keeping God. Amen? He is your conqueror. 
He will rot a victory for you in the name of Jesus. Amen? Your name is power. His name is healing. His name is righteousness. His name is provider. His name is peace. His name is justifier. His name is righteousness. His name is the one who sanctifies. His name is the one who gives me victory. He is the Lord Almighty. And he is in charge of the armies of heaven. Amen? There's no giant you can't face. There's no difficulty you can't face. You have a covenant-keeping God. You stand strong. And you count those victories where God has been with you before. Go ahead, George. Sing it with all your hearts. If you're facing sickness, Jesus is your healer. If you're facing debt, Jesus is your provider. If you're facing addiction, Jesus is your righteousness and he is the one who sanctifies you. If you're facing anything, you just yell out that name of Jesus right now. I, 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 I command you, yell at those giants. I come at you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus is. 